This is the Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett, a podcast from the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, an organization dedicated to eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism. Listen as Donzel talks about the relevant topics that will inspire you and help build your capability to take action and change the world. Because none of us are doing enough as long as racism still exists. And now, here's your host, Donzel Leggett. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of season three of the Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett. In this episode, I welcome to the show Arc board members Adrian Lynn Casimir, Jennifer Conan, and Erica Thiem to help commemorate International Women's Day by discussing the importance of this day, the issues women are currently facing, the intersectionality of race and gender, and their call to action for every one of us on what we can do to drive positive change and spread anti-misogyny, anti-racism, and anti-hate in our communities. Now let's get started with our show. So I am Donzo Leggett, host of the Arc of Change podcast and founder of the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, or ARC. Our vision at ARC is to build a racism-free world. And our mission is to provide the inspiration, education, and support for you to transform, practice, and spread anti-racism and anti-hate. This begins with our three-step process of personally transforming to anti-racism. First, erasing your ignorance about racism and hate. Then second, educating yourself about anti-racism. And third, building the character and confidence to stand up, speak out, and take action to spread anti-racism and anti-hate and make positive change happen. Now, March is Women's History Month in the United States. It's been celebrated in March in the United States since 1987 as a month to remember and recognize the historical achievements and contributions of women. Women's History Month is celebrated during other months in some other countries, like in Canada, where it's celebrated in October, but it's also celebrated in March in the United Kingdom and in Australia. Now, part of the reason why March was chosen is because International Women's Day is celebrated annually and globally on March 8th and focuses on the women's rights movement and other issues that are important to women like gender equality, reproductive rights, domestic violence, and abuse against women. The history of this day was characterized by women who stood up, spoke out, and took action to demonstrate and demand change. It began in Europe in the early 1900s as part of the push for suffrage and equal rights for women and spread globally as a day to both celebrate womanhood and women's achievements, but more importantly, for speaking out, campaigning, and demonstrating to bring awareness of women's issues with the intent of driving positive change. Today, joining me on the Arc of Change are Arc board members Adrian Lynn Casimir, Jennifer Conan, and Erica Thiem, three of the highest character people that I know. They're also leaders and change agents who are committed to making positive change happen and making a positive difference in their communities. They're also strong and proud women and are here to discuss the importance of International Women's Day, the issues that women face today, the intersectionality of race and gender, and what they are personally doing to drive positive change like the women 100 years ago who helped start International Women's Day. They're also going to provide their call to action to every one of us on what we can do to drive positive change and spread anti-misogyny, anti-racism, and anti-hate in our communities. Adrian Lynn Casimir, Jennifer Conan, and Erica Thiem join me next. The Arc of Change podcast is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. Visit us at joinarcc.org to learn more about ARC and join our movement. Welcome back to the Arc of Change. 
And as I mentioned, to help us commemorate International Women's Day, I'm honored to be joined on the show by three of the highest character people that I know. They're also passionate leaders and change agents who are committed to making positive change happen. Please welcome ARC board members, Adrian Lynn Casimir, Jennifer Conan, and Erica Thiem. Lynn, Janie, Erica, welcome to the ARC of Change. How are you doing today? Great. Awesome to be here. So excited to have this conversation. Yeah, good morning, Dazzle. All right, fantastic. Well, let's start off by having each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves. Let's start off with Lynn. Sure. So I am Adrienne Lynn Casamayor. I go by Lynn. Um, I live in Key West, Florida. I was born and raised here, left for over 30 years, but then moved back about eight years ago. Um, I am in education. I work for the Monroe County School District um, in a program called Take Stock in Children. And the program targets economically disadvantaged uh, students who are your BC students who, so they're probably not going to get academic scholarships, but we believe that they still deserve a chance at a better life. Um, our motto is to change a life over lunch. So they're paired with a mentor that they meet once a week and I'm their college success coach. So I make sure that they come to school, they, that they are doing what they are supposed to do. In addition, um, I have a small business, it's called Candy Girls, and I work with six teenage girls and my mission is for number one, these girls to go out and seize the world. And so we make homemade candy, um, we sell it and all of our profits go back to them in the form of scholarships. So most of them are take stock in students, students who are going to get scholarships, but these funds help them with getting back and forth from home or being able to have pizza on the weekend. Um, I am very passionate um, with my students. Um, I spend a lot of time with them. Um, I, I do. I want them to go out and see the world and believe that they, everything is possible for them. So that is who I am. I'm Lynn Gassemeyer. Thank you so much, Lynn. And by the way, Lynn is my big sister, one of my heroes in life. Uh, please search for Key West Candy Girls. The candy is delicious. She took the recipe from our great grandmother and brought it back to life. Thank you for everything that you're doing, Lynn, in the community. Jenny. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Jenny, let's hear from you. Yeah. Hi, everybody. My name is Jenny Conan. I currently live in Chaska, Minnesota, but I grew up in uh, southeast Wisconsin. I'm 40 years old and I am raising two young daughters. I am currently a senior environmental scientist at a consulting firm. And uh, my background's in meteorology. So I actually, the role that I play at my company is that I model air pollution from industrial sources and help them understand their compliance issues and uh, make sure that they're meeting all the ambient air quality standards for people who like to geek out about nerdy science stuff. That's part of who I am. Um, outside of my role at my, uh, in my professional role, I am also a ARC board member and I am also one of the uh, members of the resources group, which helps provide all of the resources every month that you see on our website. And I also help lead the community and action events that we have every other month. So you should check those out on our website. Um, also in my free time, I like to volunteer on political campaigns. I like to door knock. I like to make phone calls. Um, I like to show up when I'm able to, when I'm not busy with kids and work and extracurricular activities. So trying to go to school board meetings, trying to write letters to the editor, any small way I can to just, you know, make my voice heard and speak out when I see injustices in my local community. So thanks, Donzel. Thank you, Jenny. And, and for all those listening, when I decided to start uh, the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, Jenny was one of the first people that I called because I knew I needed people who truly believed and were committed to taking action. And Jenny is one of the most courageous people that I have seen in terms of being willing to stand up, speak out and take action on issues that she is passionate about. And you just heard her. There's a lot of those issues that she's passionate about. So thank you, Jenny. Erica. Hi, Donzel. Good morning. My name is Erica Thiem, and I'm just excited uh, to be with you and Lynn and Jenny today on this important topic. Uh, I live in Minnesota. Professionally, I have worked in the food industry, and I currently work in a supply chain role with a nonprofit uh, focused on food insecurity across the country. 
Um, I think it's important to racialize that I'm a white woman. I'm a straight woman. I, I am not a parent. Uh, uh, I am uh, really passionate about the topic of, of how women can be uh, empowered and successful. I, I've been a female plant manager uh, in a factory setting when there are very few women in that type of role. I, I have an engineering background and going back 30 years when I was in college, you know, I was one of one of few women in that in that type of uh, degree program. Um, I enjoy supporting women. I've been part of a, a women in operations network, uh, both in my current role and previous roles, uh, and really just um, like to find ways to mentor and give back to to women who are uh, close to me. I have a 14-year-old niece and, and really look to her as the future of, of where, where things will be different for women today than they were um, when I was growing up. Thank you so much, Erica. I have known Erica for 26 years. I was just thinking about this the other day and telling my wife, I, I think Erica is probably one of the people I've known longest in my life outside of family. Uh, and she has demonstrated to me the time I, all the time I've known her, uh, a pillar of strength and, and someone who you can always count on to be with you and have your back. And if you need something done, she will get it done. And uh, I, I just tremendously respect Erica. So thank you, Erica. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Lynn. Let's now turn to the topic. We want to commemorate and talk about International Women's Day. And so I'd ask you, what's your earliest rec recollection of International Women's Day uh, for you personally? And this is kind of a long question. So you answer it the way you'd want. But when did you first become aware of it? That could be part of your answer. Um, how did it become meaningful to you? And what does it mean to you now? Why is it important? So however you want to answer that, we'll start off with Erica. Sure. You know, it, it, it's actually not that long ago um, I became, of became aware of International Women's Day. Um, the company I was a part of uh, wanted to uh, start to recognize International Women's Day with a workplace event. We had had different Women's Days in the past. Uh, but we were becoming a more global company at the time. And one of the most important memories I have is uh, thinking about women who were joining that, that work event from outside of the U.S. And while there are still um, very important um, issues facing women in the United States, for me, it brought a more global awareness to challenges that women think, think of events happening right now in Afghanistan and Iran uh, where women are uh, still very early on their journey to civil rights and, and equal rights in those countries and the importance to take stock in that some of the privileges that we enjoy in the United States, while there's still significant opportunities for women, there are places around the world that are struggling in, in, in an earlier part of the journey for sure. Thank you, Erica. Lynn, what about you? So for me, it probably started um, when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was working at a, a small boarding school um, and we had a lot of international students and um, we had a program and we focused on um, Malala Yousafi. And mm. just hearing her story, she's a 15 year old girl that was shot by the Taliban for simply trying to um, bring education to um, young girls. And that just struck me. Um, and it kind of leads me to where I am now with my work with um, young girls, especially trying to um, help them to understand, again, that anything is possible for them. If you, if you really believe in something, fight for it. Um, and so, you know, I think about her often and just, you know, the the you know, the idea that a 15 year old could be so passionate about something um, and then, you know, to go on to win or be the youngest to win a Nobel Peace Prize is just amazing. So um, that would be mine. And, and she's like a hero. Wow. Thank you, Jenny. Yeah, so I'm embarrassed to say it probably wasn't until later, like 2015, 2016, when uh, I started getting a little more on social media. And I think kind of in that when um, Senator Hillary Clinton was running for president and thinking of we're going to have a woman running the United States government. Like, I feel like that's when I really paid attention and noticed what International Women's Day was and was more focused in understanding of why it's important and, and taking time to actually celebrate it and promote it more um, to my girls and within my office. So I think that's probably when I really started paying attention to it more and celebrating it more, I would say. 
Well, thanks, Jenny. It, it's interesting um, that uh, Jenny highlighted Hillary Clinton bringing it to, to the attention. That's probably when I first became aware of it as well. But I also love the fact that uh, that both Erica and Lynn talked about the international uh, aspect. They were they they mentioned some things outside the United States that got their attention. Um, international Women's Day is obviously global. In the U.S., we do celebrate the month of March as Women's History Month. But International Women's Day is a global um, uh, uh, commemoration. And so the question I have for you is, and, and you could answer this, whether it's U.S., a lot of us tend to think U.S.-centric or globally. Uh, what do you think is the greatest challenge that are, that women are facing today? And let's start with Erica. Sure, Donzel. I think it, it really does depend on the lens you look at as you answer that question, whether it's a domestic U.S. lens or an international lens. Uh, perhaps the example I'll, I'll lift up that I, I've been thinking a lot about is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, who has recently been uh, in the news for her announcement that she'll be stepping down from her office uh, as the Prime Minister of New Zealand. And, you know, I, I, I just look up to her as a, a woman who is leading in such an important capacity, uh, leading a country, and some of the remarkable things she's been able to do for New Zealand, leading through the pandemic. Uh, and yet I, I sense and see in the press a lot of criticism for her announcement. You know, was she really ready for the job? Is she uh, is she really prioritizing her, her role, her duty? And I think one of the things that women, especially uh, in developed countries in the United States, feel today is this pressure to to be it all, um, you know, to be the great parent, to be the great professional, to be a great leader, uh, and to um, really have this armor that's invinci- you know, show this invincibility. So I really applaud her vulnerability to acknowledge that she, uh, you know, she doesn't have enough gas in the tank. I think is the words that she used to to really do. Uh, what what she wanted want to do in service of of the people she represents in New Zealand, uh, and I, I think one of the things that we need to do as a society is to continue to to honor women and the variety of roles they play in their life, and uh, uh, remove some of this real or perceived barrier to to be perfect in every every aspect of life. That is a great uh, example, Erica. Thank you for sharing that perspective, Jenny. What do you think about the greatest challenge? Facing yeah, it's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Donzel, but Erica, it, we must have share the same mind because I had a similar thing that I had written down that society's expectations are impossible for women to meet. And it's set up that way because it's, in, I feel like it's intended for us to fail so they can point and so people can say, hey, look, women don't belong here because they can't hack it, for example. So I feel like it's business, it's, um, it's society saying, okay, women, you have to meet these same, um, you have to be great at your job, but then you have to stay extra hours, but you also can't miss your kids. If you have kids, you can't miss your kids' soccer game, or you have to be the perfect mom. And then you have to make sure your house looks clean and you have to make sure, you know, that you show up looking professional and not, you know, make, you can't wear too much makeup, but not enough makeup. There's, you know, so many things that women have to do to stay within, I would say, patriarchy's view of what business or society is. And then when it's too much for us and we show vulnerability and then they say, see, women can't do this, so they shouldn't even be involved. And I feel like that's the biggest challenge for women. Wow. Thank you, Jenny. Really, really pointed. Lynn, what do you think? So because I'm a black woman, um, I feel it's important for me to speak about the challenges that I realize as a black woman that they're they're out there. Um, you know, I've, I've always felt um, as a black woman in the workplace that I had to work twice as hard um, in order to get the same recognition as my counterpart. Um, you know, the, the, when I wake up in the morning, um, I have to make sure that my hair is acceptable. Um, I have to remember that I have to now change the way I speak in order to be accepted. Um, And it's funny because I think as Black women are um, turning to be more authentic, so we are, you know, getting rid of the straight hair, um, you know, we're looking at braids and locks. And yet, you know, I mean, really, you're really looking at how I wear my hair to the point where there's now legislation 
um, saying that you cannot discriminate against me because of my hair. Um, so there are just, I don't know, so many challenges for us. You know, number one, are we even heard? You know, in most cases, you know, do you even hear us? Um, I had a situation a couple uh, years ago. Um, I had a group of black girls in my office and and they were loud and excited and passionate. And it made me a little bit nervous because, you know, everybody in my hallway is white. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know. Um, and so one of my counterparts as she was leaving um, and the girls were gone and I apologized to her. I'm, I'm like, you know, really sorry that it was so noisy. And she said to me um, and she's a white female. And I so appreciated the fact that um, what she said was is that. No, don't stop them. Most of the time we are shutting black women down. Do not, do not shut them down. So, um, you know, when I think about the challenges that Jenny spoke about, you know, makeup. And so for black women, it just goes so much deeper. Um, So anyway, that's my point of view. Thank you so much for bringing that up. We're going to talk a little bit about that specific issue, the intersectionality um, of gender and race in a little bit, which I think is really important. Um, I do have one question specific for you guys that I was surprised about. I, I When Re- Roe v. Wade was reversed by the Supreme Court, I was not surprised because I saw how things were gearing up for that to happen. I was surprised by how uh, it seemed to have an impact around the world, outside the United States. There were other countries where this seemed to, to generate real concern. And I'm wondering, did, did you guys notice that? And, and why do you think that is in terms of the implications for women, not only in the U.S., but globally, why that was such a, a raised so much alarms? And let's start with Jenny. Yeah, Donzel, that's an interesting question. And I don't profess to know what the correct answer is, but my opinion on it is that um, Roe versus Wade was a court case and it was based on the reason they won the case was it was based on, um, I think it's the 14th Amendment is like right to privacy. And in the United States, our Supreme Court, this is the first time that a Supreme Court has revoked a right that it has allowed for 50 years. So when you say past precedent, it means this is something that you typically don't overturn precedent. And I think what's alarming is that and that's surprising. And I guess there's two, sorry, I could talk about this all the time because I, I love the whole Supreme Court. And But I'll, I'll just say that I think what was most alarming for international community is to see um, a Supreme Court reverse something that has been precedent and, and groundbreaking and set in, not necessarily in stone, but set in place. And also the fact that they're using that they're kind of overturning that right to privacy or saying that that's no longer like a valid reason for allowing women the right to, you know, make their own bodily choices about whether or not to get pregnant. And I think it's alarming for other countries too, because other court cases rely on that 14th amendment, not just Roe versus Wade Our the gay marriage law. Was it a Bergefell? There's a few others that rely heavily on the 14th amendment. And we're already seeing um, groups bringing cases up through the pipeline to the Supreme Court specifically to overturn those other things that are have been precedent as well. So that's why I think the international community's concern is because they're seeing America turn back the clock and that we have this Supreme Court that's allowing it to happen because they don't think we have the right to privacy anymore. Wow. Thank you. You broke that down better than any of the talking heads I've seen do it. That was very, very good. Lynn, anything to add? You know, it's hard to add to that because I agree with her 100 percent. The only, you know, the the thing that most concerned me um, was, you know, how the impact on women of color. Yes. Um, You know, we're probably going to have the greatest impact. But Jenny hit it spot on. Thank you. Erica, anything you want to add? Yeah, I would just say to Jenny's point, you know, this is uh, a reversal of something I really believe is a, a as a human right and the marriage amendment voting rights. So I, I just worry about where the, the ball will continue to roll downhill. Uh, if, if we don't continue to uphold that, you know, the, the current progress we've made around uh, various rights that we have in the U S and, and the world is, is watching us. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Lynn, Lynn you talked earlier about your passion and working with, with young girls. You gave many examples uh, whether it's Key West Candy Girls or, or what you do in the schools. 
Um, there does seem to be a lot more pressures on girls today. Now, I'm not a, a woman and I wasn't a girl, so I don't know how it was when you guys were growing up versus today. But it just seems like, I mean, I've got three daughters, but there's a lot of pressures on appearance. You guys talked about this thing around popularity and the impact of the Kardashians, social media bullying, um, all these things. What do you guys think need? To, first of all, do you agree with that or what is your thoughts? And then what do you think needs to happen to address it? You know, um, because I spend a lot of times with girls, I hear, you know, most of the time I have to stop and say, okay, what is that? (laughs) What does that mean? Because, you know, I don't have girls. And so, you know, I rely on them. It is very scary for me. Um, You know, the whole TikTok, you know, they spend a whole lot of time on TikTok um, watching different videos. Um, You know, the... um, the media, you know, just the things that they're seeing, you know, entertainment, um, you know, they're seeing, you know, that Nicki Minaj is popular, you know, you know, can I be like Nicki Minaj? And, um, you know, and so what I try to reinforce in them is be who you are, you know, and, and, and really try to help them to understand that, number one, Mick, Nicki Minaj is there to make money. And so she'll do whatever it is that she needs to do to keep the money in, to keep the money coming in. Um, And just, I don't know, just, you know, really trying to get them to understand that they can have anything they want with hard work. Um, And, you know, that that fast fix. um, You know, I had a girl, um, you know, yesterday she was telling me, and and it's a a black girl, and she was telling me, um, you know, they're talking about prom and their prom dresses and, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to wear this black dress and I'm going to wear a long blonde wig. And I'm like, what? Hmm. You know, and she says, oh, but it'll look so cute. And, you know, and I'm like, but you're not a blonde. So, you know, why would you want to wear a blonde wig? Just to because it's only about looking cute, and I and I told her I said there's so much more to you. There's so much more depth to you yes. than than what's on the outside, and and I try to stress that to them. Even the way that they dress, you know, they'll come in in the morning with their crop tops, and I, and I ask them all, did, did you lose the rest of your blouse? You know, what happened to the rest <laughs> of your blouse? Um, and and have them to understand that you know I know that they wear it for attention, yeah, but seek to get the right attention. And that's attention for your thinking and and the things that you're able to accomplish. So it 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 drives me a little bananas. But anyway, that's where I am. Thank you for that. Jenny, anything to add? I know you have two little girls. I do. And it's funny that Lynn had mentioned social media. And I just wanted to say that um, there's good sides and bad sides to social media. But I was thinking back on this. And I think back when I, so I was a teenager, like, the 90s, early 2000s, when Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, everything was like 90s. It would be like, Donzo, you probably have no idea what this is, but like Seventeen magazine and everything was very white. Everything was very skinny. Yeah, There were hardly any black women, women of color on magazines. All of the articles were all like every clothing sizes were impossible for different sizes and shapes. So where I have seen progress and really, where I really want to commend and see, and I'm seeing it much healthier for my girls now growing up, is there are so many more fashion um, icons that are different shapes. There are women of color. There are Black women on magazines, featured in ads. Target does, I'm sorry, I shouldn't promote Target because I should, anyway, but like I, I notice that yeah. there's differences and I they're agree. showing it. and. And they have more celebrities or positive role models, or I guess not role models, but they call them, I've heard the phrase possibility models. So people can see themselves in, in people on social media and in, in, um, on TV and music. So for example, Lizzo, and I know everybody's got a critique about Lizzo and how she dresses. And sometimes she shows a lot of skin, but she's comfortable in that and her size. And I think she's beautiful. Honestly, I think she's beautiful. And, um, so I like the fact that there are more possibility models today that are popular and are promoting an image of be yourself, love yourself. She has that song, In Case Nobody Told You Today You're Special. And if you have you heard that from her new album, she's got mm-hmm. a lot of body positivity. So I find that um, <laughs> while social media has its ills, and I will admit there are a lot of them, I like the fact that 
it's providing more people a platform to share, you know, you know, their fashion, their styles, and it's, you know, all different sizes of women and, and different colors and shades. So I guess that's where I'm at with society's expectations. So that is a great, it's much better. Yeah. Much better than it was in the nineties. I will say not perfect, but better. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a great point. You shop in stores and, and now you see mannequins that are plus size that are normal size you see commercials with normal size people those those models in the 90s that's not normal size they have a size zero for every commercial um yeah even like yeah even real quick too like cartoons like for my girls like they're shira like there's different sizes and shapes and seeing girls be the action heroes too like there's so much more available um for my girls to see promoting women and different types of women. So, yeah. Awesome. Eric, anything you want to add? No, I, I think they did a great job. <laughs> well, that it kind of, I'm going to go into the next question and I'm, I'm hoping each of you has a perspective on this, but last week I was asked to give a talk to a group of, uh, of women in India, uh, professional women in India. Um, and, and they asked me to speak about confidence and, and what I learned through that talk is the reason why they wanted me to talk about it is there's a challenge sometimes in, in society for women to show confidence. This is what they said. I'm curious your view, but their view was if you show too much confidence, if you show too much assertiveness or ambition as a woman, it can be a negative versus how a man is perceived. And so I talked to them a lot about, you know, just believing in yourself and, you know, normal things. But it, it was like, you know, really um, like almost like innovative thinking or, or inspirational to them. And, and I'm just curious, is this something that's just India or is this something that, that as women you have to deal with as well? And let's start with Lynn. Um, no, I don't think it's just India. Um, I think, um, you know, women and, you know, in general, sometimes we question our own confidence, you know, are, are we really um, that sure of ourselves? I mean, I see that a lot um, with my girls um, questioning themselves, um, you know, and it's funny because we also tend to, like even the Lizzo, you know, where, you know, we, you know, she is confident. I mean, I wouldn't get on stage, um, but she does. And so, you know, half of us applaud her and then the other half of women, you know, say that she shouldn't. And so we try to body shame her. Um, and so I think that we all kind of go through it. However, I think a little bit different. I think that um, that it's, you know, like I think that when you said that they were telling you that it's more of a motivational talk, I think that maybe we're hearing it a little bit more. Um, I know that for me, and it's funny because I was thinking back on the prior question and Jenny's answer. And it's funny because my my thought was that, yes, when I was growing up, I didn't have the, you know, the, you know, we didn't see the, the ads with black women. And so it was more, we relied more on our parents, what my mother showed me, uh, my grandparents and, and women in the community that kind of built our confidence. And so I'm not sure that, you know, the, the images that our girls are seeing now, if it's really leading to confidence or just following somebody else. Um, so that's that's kind of my take. That's that's a great perspective. Erica, you, you've been in, um, you know, sort of corporate America for a long time, a lot of high powered roles. You, you talked about being a leader of a facility, leading a lot of people. What are your thoughts on this in terms of is, is it a challenge to show confidence and assertiveness? Is it, is it different for women? <clears throat> I, I, I do think it is. And um, I, I have become more comfortable in sharing advice or thoughts with, with women I'm around uh, that it's not confidence, it's competence mm. that really matters. And there, there's a lot um, a lot of coverage on imposter syndrome. And so, so women can get caught in a box, we can uh, feel that we're not confident enough inside uh, to be heard or to be worthy uh, of a role or or a thought or an idea. Um, and yet we also are concerned that we will show up as 
uh, aggressive or bitchy. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. so yes. uh, I, I really, I really try to think about it myself. And when I, when I talk to other women about just really centering on your competence, uh, we all have things that we're, we're very competent in. And if we're, um, if that's where we put our energy, um, we, we can get through that, that kind of box of feeling, uh, am I, confident enough to uh, own my competence or am I going to be viewed as being overly confident and aggressive and just um, really put that to the side and focus on what you're real truly competent in? Wow. Thank you. Very, very clear message. This competence focus. And, and Jenny, any thoughts you'd like to add? I'll leave it. I think Erica did a really good job there. I'll just say that it's not just in speaking, it's in how we write emails too. Like I noticed myself putting like exclamation points to make it seem like I'm saying thanks rather than like a period because it might be taken more, I don't know, hurt Mm -hmm. sounding. So just, yeah, I feel like we police ourselves too. Women sort of police ourselves in our tone because we're concerned as well. I did hear that as well from that group. Uh, This idea of self-doubt or thinking too much. If I do that, if I put the period, if I did that guys just don't seem to do, which kind of leads me to another question. Lynn mentioned earlier around, you know, Lizzo gets up, she's doing a great job. There's some women that love it. And there's other women that don't. Um, are there differences on how women treat and support each other? That's different than men. Cause I, I've heard that too, that uh, sometimes some of the toughest People, when you're in work environments, might not be a man. It might actually be a woman. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm curious as to your thoughts. And I'll start with Erica. Sure. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I also think it's come a long way. I think back to when the Cheryl Sandberg Lean In book came out in 2013. I think that was really a shift for me, at least. And uh, thinking about if I go back 25, 30 years in, in my early career, I think I felt as a woman, I had to make my way. I had to break through the next ceiling or get to the next rung. Uh, and that I was, um, as a female in my technical field, I was in the minority and I kind of had to prove myself. Uh, I think now, um, fast forward 15, 20 years, I think women are, are many women have made it uh, to, you know, not enough, but many women have made it. We have more role models uh, in senior levels of organizations. And I think those women are looking back. I, cer- I certainly am looking back at how hard it was to feel like I had to do it on my own and the importance of how we need to lift up women around us and create um, mentoring relationships, create advocacy. You know, if if we are in, in a place where we have the privilege of helping um, recruit and retain and attract and advance women in our organizations that, you know, I really feel uh, as a woman, I have a, a obligation to bring more women up and, and through organizations I'm a part of. So I, I think I really attribute a lot of that to, to the writing that Cheryl Sandberg had on that we need to bond together as women to help each other. It certainly uh, changed how I looked at it in the last, you know, 15 years. Thank you, Erica. Jenny, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I was just thinking about um, why maybe women might be a little more cutthroat. And I think sometimes, especially in business and the fact that the working world is sort of tailored around men and men, and it was built by the patriarchy, um, women are more hard on other women because women are viewed as like, if one person, if one woman does bad, then it's just, oh, they're all bad. Like that whole, the general, um, you're all painted with the same bad brush or they see one woman not doing as well. And then they just assume all women are that way. So maybe a woman who's like in a leadership role is more critical of the woman who's maybe further underneath her because it reflects poorly on her rather than trying to help and advocate. I, I feel like maybe it's sort of a, it could be a jealousy thing um, or just that concern of, of uh, um, how we're perceived by men and that we're always um, one bad, one incorrect mistake um, and you're you're all looked at, well, they can't cut it. And I feel like I said that before, they can't cut it. But I feel like it's designed 
to make it more difficult for women to succeed and then prove and then you prove their point for them. Thank you for that example. Lynn, anything you'd want you want to add? Um, yeah, you know what? I think that from what I've seen, um, you know, normally there in and I think the women's thinking there's one spot. And, you know, five of us are working in here. There's only one spot. So we beat each other up for that one spot. Um, and, and it is, it's, to me, it's hard. I, I found it hard working with women um, because it always seemed like, you know, we, we are trying to outdo each other. Um, I prefer to work with men. It's just, I don't know, it's always been I don't know, easier for me. And and maybe because of the fact that I am a black woman and feel that I have to work hard anyway. And so I've always worked harder. And so, um, and, and maybe because I work with white men and I wasn't a threat to them, which made my working environment easier. Um, you know, maybe that, maybe that was it, but I do find that, I don't know, working with women can be a little bit difficult because we do you know, we expect a lot from each other and we think there's only one spot. That's really, really interesting. A, a little depressing, uh, a little bit, uh, but but interesting. And it sounds like there's been some progress, but there's still some issues. You know, we're going to take a quick break and then come right back and, and finish and conclude our fantastic discussion with our panel. We'll be right back. Visit us at joinarc.org to learn more about ARC. Donate to our cause and join the movement that will change the world. All right, we're, we're back on the Arc of Change with our fantastic panel that's helping us commemorate International Women's Day. And we're going to continue with a question now about um, how have uh, Jenny, Lynn, and Erica how have they experienced any double standards or misogyny or mistreatment in the workplace? Or at least is there still a double standard that exists? What examples do they have that they've personally experienced or have seen within uh, their organizations or professionally? And Jenny, we'll start with you. Yeah, thanks, Donzel. So this is a story, um, sort of misogyny. It was, I was visibly pregnant at the time. I was at a client meeting on site with my uh, project manager, who's an older gentleman. He looks like Santa Claus, who's an older man, um, a great person, great individual. So we're at this client meeting and the client's lawyer is present. And the client's lawyer is this white man, very uh, like a lawyer. Like you. Mm. And I was visibly pregnant and he made some comment about my pregnancy and the fact that my project manager was like, the, like joking that he was the father, that he was the one like making some like sick, like joke like that. And it was one of those things where you're in a, your clients right there. You don't want to like, and I was young. I mean, this was maybe 10 years ago and I kind of, you know, <laughs> like laughed at, yeah. you know, and my, my project manager's like, Oh, come on. Like, you know, like sort of like knock it off. But it's always stuck with me because it was just like looking back on them, like, why didn't I say anything? I feel like that's the lot. A lot of times when stuff like that happens in the workplace, you're just sort of like, you just try and laugh it off instead of now, if that had happened, I don't think my reaction would be completely different because I feel like I've learned and grown and I'm not going to take crap like that anymore. So that's, yeah. 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 Thank you, Jenny. That reminds me of a, a story. Uh, unfortunately, a guy that reported to me that a smart guy worked hard, but just didn't seem to quite grasp the magnitude of statements like that. And he would always refer to one of the women that worked for him as his work wife. And um, she told him many times, don't do that. And finally, she told me about it. I hadn't heard him do it. And and I had to tell him, dude, you cannot do that. And I had to explain why that was wrong. And it literally took me 30 minutes for him to understand why that was a problem. Um, so we have to say something. But us as males, uh, men, we need to stand up and say something and challenge when we hear things like that. Lynn, any examples or stories you want to share? No, I can't think. All right. No, no problem. Erica, we'll jump to you. Yeah. You know, I think I think in my my 30 years in the working world, I we've come a long way. Uh, you know, I think the 
the Me Too movement has helped bring additional um, attention to not um, not assuming that a woman who is out too late or had one too many drinks or was dressed um, with with more skin showing than than others think is appropriate. That, you know, it is it's not that that woman's fault. Uh, or she, she should not be a, a target because of, of of those behaviors. So I, I think um, you know that that has helped in the United States us take a second look at um, not victimizing the, the woman in, in situations like that. I, this, the story I'll tell quickly is um, back in the early '90s, I, I was working in a facility that had uh, two two sites to it on a campus, and and only one of the sites had a, a changing room for women a locker room facility to change into a uniform. So I remember I had to go from the building I worked into a different building to, to change into my work uniform. Um, and, and that changed, they modernized the facility and they created equal facilities for men and women in both parts of this campus. But you know, fast forward 20 years later, I was responsible for some other facilities uh, and I entered the small facility that we were operating in Canada and was asked where I could change into my uniform to go into the factory with the team. And I was told to go into the server room, the computer server room to change clothes, that they had a men's locker room facility, but they didn't have a, a women's locker room facility. And it, it, it was just another reminder for me that there's still work to do, just even for um, equality in facilities that typically had a, a male workforce and didn't have a place for for a woman to, you know, um, have a mother's room or have a changing room and how important that is. Yeah. And I just got to give a shout out to Erica. Uh, like I said, I've known her for 26 years and um, she has been either the first or one of the first women in significant leadership roles where she's leading a lot of men, significant majority of men. And um I know that uh, she's very humble and probably wouldn't give you a lot of examples, but I know from personal uh, experience, she's had to overcome a number of challenges um, and environments that were not geared to support her. But her impact today from her 20 some odd years of leading in these environments has made a tremendous difference for the women who have followed her. So I just want to make sure and let her know that because I've personally seen it. Uh, so let me let me move on to intersectionality of, of gender and race, because Lynn, um, Jenny and Erica have all mentioned this uh, in my last podcast. And, and Lynn brought up some of these issues already. Uh, and so is Erica. But in my last podcast um, on, on black history um, that we need to teach it, black history is U.S. history. Um, I talked a lot about the fact that if you look at the civil rights movement and really who's gained the most from the civil rights movement, you would think. It'd be African-Americans since they drove the movement. But actually, if you look at the data, it's white women have actually gained the most from programs like affirmative action, equal opportunity, even diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, you know, whether it's uh, representation in government, in company leadership, CEO roles, boards of directors, even compensation. Um, but if you also look at surveys of how white, white women feel about those same programs, affirmative action uh, in particular, the majority of white women do not support affirmative action. So the question for you is, what, what um, responsibility do you feel that white women have or should have for doing something, standing up and taking responsibility for uplifting black women who have not gained as much as you would think they have uh, through the civil rights movement? So, Eric, I'll start with you. Sure. You know, Donzel, I was, I was just taking a look at the most recent um, Women in the Workplace study by McKinsey, and it, and it, it just continues to have um, sobering statistics on the differences between Black women and white women. Um, um, black women and women of color are ambitious. They have ambition. 41% surveyed would say they have ambition to be a top executive, more than the 27% of white women that responded that way. So it is not a lack of desire um, and competence to succeed. Um, I think white women like myself, we need to uh, create more psychological safety was one of the things the study really focused on. Uh, how are we creating an inclusive environment where um, our, our, our colleagues, our women in color colleagues are um, finding equal access? I, I think for me, one of the things that I really 
have had to work on is kind of peeling the layers back more. Um, if there's a, an opportunity that might come with some interesting exposure on a project or a task force, um, you know, am I seeking out women of color to join me in those efforts? And, and if, if a colleague who is a woman of color um, declines that opportunity, I, I know I've got to go a, a couple steps further. Um, is, is it because it requires weekend work or travel? Is it because um, there's no other person of color on the team? Um, really making sure that I'm working to go deeper and understanding what those um, limiters or be barriers, uh, real or perceived, may be, and playing a role to create a pathway to, to be more inclusive and uh, welcoming of, of my colleagues of color. I think, you know, we need to focus more on career development pathways for women of color. You know, that is also one of the statistics in the study is that uh, women of color in the workforce don't feel that they have access to career development from their manager. Um, so I think, you know, those are things that um, I feel like we really need to focus on. And then maybe one more early in career, as someone who's in the technical field, uh, we need to um, find ways to encourage and provide on-roads for young young girls to get more into STEM education. Uh, we know that um, girls and women of color are, are, are still very underrepresented in technical fields. Uh, and how do we encourage more opportunities for, for girls to get excited about STEM? Really great, Erica. Thank you so much. Excellent, excellent points. Jenny, your perspective. Yeah, I completely agree with Erica, and I want to harken back to what H or what Lynn had said earlier about this whole zero sum game. I think that's part of the problem with white women in the workforce and not agreeing with affirmative action or uh, thinking there's only a limited amount, and that you know if we give some or allow other people like black women into the workforce or to have these same gains, that we're going to lose something. So that's something that white women need to do the work to overcome. And I agree with Erica, her, her recommendations are spot on. And I will say companies and businesses, it needs to be intentional going the extra step. It can't just be a box checking exercise. Well, we opened this up, we interviewed these people, they didn't, you know, they didn't accept this or we didn't. Therefore it's, you know, we did our homework, we did our minimum, the bare minimum, we're good. Like we can't have it be a box checking when it comes to creating um, more diverse, uh, creating more opportunities for Black women. And then lastly, with STEM, I will say a lot of the problem too, we encourage women to get into STEM, but it's so toxic of an environment mm -hmm. that a lot of women don't even finish because once they're in there, they usually get forced out either by sexism, by racism, like it's not. So we got to find ways also to encourage women to do that, but also find ways to make those spaces more inclusive so that women continue and finish because a lot of them are dropping out because of situations going on in those programs. So I think that's something else that needs to be addressed as well. Excellent, excellent points that we cannot lose sight of. Thank you, Lynn. As a Black woman, what, what perspective do you have on this? Um, I agree with them. You know, I read something um, and it said something um, that a lot of times we're invited to the party, but we don't get to dance. Mm. And I see that a lot, you know, um, like in the school district, um, you know, they're making an effort now to hire more black teachers, but we have no black administrators. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you're invited to the party, but guess what? You can't dance. Um, and so it just, it, you know, it, and I do. I'm, I'm so appreciative, and I'm going to call her, call her out, um, Lori Kelly. Yes. Um, because again, um, yesterday, you know, after our CIA meeting, she came in um, and said, "This is what we need to do." And this is a white woman who wants to work with black kids to change the environment of their school, and so we need more Lori Kellys. Um, you know, I find myself in. Uh, staff meetings all the time, um, you know, where I'm the only, and, and, you know, growing up in Key West and Donnie, you, you remember this, you know, I was used to being the only black person in my class. Yes. I mean, that was just the norm. Um, so I'm, you know, in a staff meeting and, you know, a white person will say something that's totally inappropriate. Yeah. Um, I had one coworker say one day, you know, she was referring to a neighborhood. It's where all the black single mothers live. Hmm. And, and and I didn't say anything because I would be angry black woman. Yes. And yet I felt like somebody else in that meeting should have corrected her. 
Um, and so we need more people, you know, more white women to to say the do the hard work. Yes. Do the hard work and remember where you came from. Remember you got there on my back. Yes. And so, yeah. That's so well stated. Remember how you got there and be willing now to do the work to help me since I help you get there. Uh, I think that's that's great. And I think just to give you a little bit more a pub on Lori, I, I want to say the example you gave earlier of the of the person who said, let those girls be loud because they. I think that was Lori as well. Uh, Lori, if you want to just give her a shout out, listen to the podcast I did about Lori uh, from last season. Again, it's called uh, from 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 racist cult to anti-racist. It's unbelievable. Lori's story. Um, second to last question for our panel. Um, the history of International Women's Day really started all about women speaking out, taking action and bringing attention to the issues that were hurting them, whether it was women's suffrage, whether it was abuse of women, mistreatment. Um, and it started over 100 years ago. And even today, it's still a day that's about bringing attention, whether it's through demonstration, speaking out to make changes. But women need allies to do that as well. And the, the word allies kind of been changed a little bit today in corporate America to be like someone who empathizes with you. But at ARC, we believe we're very similar to what, what International Women's Day is about, which is speaking out, standing up, taking action to drive change. What are, do you guys have any examples? So Lynn just gave an example where something was said, an ally could have stand up and do something and they didn't. But do you guys have any examples of where you felt a male ally actually did something? and made a difference that you felt proud of and that you could share with this audience to give them inspiration on what we need male allies to do. And let's start with, uh, with Jenny. Yeah, you're putting me on the spot. I can't think, sad to say, I can't think of an example. Or, or um, just, if you don't have an example, your perspective. But I'll on, say what they should do. Yes. Oh, try, <laughs> try. And don't always expect a cookie or a pat on the back for doing the bare minimum. Like, yeah, you did something. Like, I just feel like, yeah. Don't expect a cookie every time you do something that's just the default or the bare minimum. I love that. Thank you so much for calling that out because we should do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Not because we're looking for a reward. You're right on. Uh, Erica. Yeah, Donzel, I, I might make you blush with this example, but... Um, going back again, maybe 20 years, uh, I had the privilege of often going on company retreats um, and we would have team building activities. And I remember uh, one of these retreats where there was an option to play golf, 18 holes of golf. There was an option to go four wheeling and there was an option to go to the spa. <laughs> and I, as a woman in a group of mostly men, I, I I learned to play golf. I, I don't enjoy golf. I learned to play golf. I would play golf on these golf, golf outings. I was no good at it. I didn't enjoy it, but I felt like that's where I needed to be, to be close to the leaders I wanted to uh, build relationship with. Um, at one of these retreats, I decided to go to the spa, which would have been my preference all along to do team building uh, on a spa retreat. And I, I remember this event so did you, Donzel. You chose to go to the spa that day. And as we were all getting ready to go off to our appointments to see a male role model in my organization decide that that was the, the team building choice he wanted to take. I'm sure you knew you were going to be with more of the women on the team uh, on that team building event, but it really showed your action in allyship to uh, choose a different path than maybe you normally would uh, to show that support. That really made a difference for me. It was the right thing to do. I won't accept the pat on the back, as Jenny just said. <laughs> Lynn, any any thoughts on this one? You know, I had a situation. Um, the Monroe County Education Foundation, they're the the that that's the body that raises the money for take stock and children. And so we have um, the past president who is very, very wealthy. Um, and so he sent an email um, about us losing somebody that was on the board. And in the email, he said he is one of the, he described this gentleman as the only black man who speaks German and donates money. And I was extremely offended by this email because I'm like, 
he's the only, I mean, like there's only one black man in the whole world that speaks German and will donate money, really do. So I call my boss and I'm like, look, I'm really offended by this email. Either you deal with it or I'm going to deal with it. And I probably won't work here after I deal with it. <laughs> and so he he explained to me, yes, you know, then he was wrong and he, I'll take care of it. But the, the better thing was one of my colleagues um, called me and said, did you see that email? And she said, you know, how wrong he was. Um, and without prompting, I mean, and, and she and I don't even, you know, we didn't even talk that often, but she read it and knew that it wasn't right. Um, and so um, I appreciate both of them. Thank you so much, Lynn. Um, awesome, awesome, awesome. Last question for you all. And, and um, you know, you can you can be brief. You can use one word, one sentence or however you want to say it. But what closing message would you have for our audience? What would be your call to action to close out this commemoration for International Women's Day? And let's start with Erica. Oh, you know, my my call to action is that there's there's more work to be done. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, impacts of women outside of the U.S. and and the early stages of the journey, women in other countries that don't have the same um, human rights that we enjoy in the U.S. Uh, are facing. Uh, and then I think this this uh, important point on the intersection of of race and sexual orientation and ability and gender is, is important. We know that during the pandemic, uh, more women of color left the workplace. We know that they're still not coming back. Um, so for me, it's how, how do we use our voice and our time and actually our, our pocketbook um, to make sure that we're supporting um, uh, women and and women of color. I you know I think about candy girls. Like how are we making sure that we're using an equity filter in terms of how we're we're uh, investing in um, small businesses and and businesses run by women of color. I think that's a lot of where women are are moving to. Uh, our entrepreneurial roles are moving out of corporate culture to do that. So that's a that's one act, action we can all take. Thank you, Erica. Wonderful, Lynn. For me, it's the golden rule, and it is to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And it's that simple. You know, if, if, if you desire that, what makes you think I don't? And so treat me the same that you do the same that you want for, done for you. Thank you. Can I'll never go wrong with the golden rule. And Jenny, we will give you the last word. And I was going to say with International Women's Month um, or Women's Month, there's so much to do. And Erica listed a bunch of great things. And I just want to remind women to do something for yourself. Find some way to fill up your glass. There's so much in the world that seems to beat us down. It seems overwhelming, insurmountable, and paralyzing. So take the time you need to do, and I, some people don't like the term self-care, but do something for yourself to fill yourself up because we need you for the long haul. I think Donzel's first podcast was talking about this being a marathon and to take breaks when you need to. So take, take this month too to find something that brings you joy and fills you up and then keep going. Awesome, Jenny. Thank you so much. That was great perspective. That was actually one of the, the final messages I left with the, the team of, of women in India as well. Take care of yourself. Don't ignore yourself. You need that self-care. So thank you, Lynn. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you so much, Erica, for helping us commemorate and honor International Women's Day by sharing your personal perspectives, your insights, your stories, your examples, which for sure inspired me. And I'm also sure inspired our audience as well to stand up, speak out, and take action on behalf of women and all underrepresented and oppressed groups to help ARC achieve our vision of creating and building a world that's free of misogyny, free of racism, and free of hate. Thanks again, Lynn, Jenny, and Erica. And I hope to have you back soon on the Ark of Change. Thank you. Thank you. Visit us at joinarcc.org. Follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And like us on Facebook. To find the Arc of Change podcast with Donzel Leggett, and learn more about the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, or ARC, please visit us at joinarc.org. You can also subscribe to the Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett on your favorite podcast hosting sites. 
I greatly look forward to our next episode, an opportunity to inspire you to become part of the movement that will change the world by eradicating racism once and for all. Until next time, stay safe and continue to ask yourself, am I doing enough? And remember that none of us are doing enough as long as racism and hate still exist. Thanks for listening and goodbye. The Arc of Change podcast with Donzel Leggett is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. To learn more about Arc, donate to our cause and join the coalition, visit joinarcc.org. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share this podcast to help spread our mission to change the world by ending racism once and for all. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe and be inspired.